We Saw a Thing is a movie podcast about remakes and sequels. We, we saw a thing and talked about it. This week, the guys watch Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. The following conversation has been edited for brevity. I'm on my vacation, so yeah, like it hasn't been a relaxing vacation because I have so <laughs> much going on. I mean, I haven't been in front of a screen in a couple of days at all. Uh, obviously, I have texted through a screen, and I have I've also watched a couple movies, namely two movies we're talking about today. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, should we should we just should we just get right into it? Yeah, man, go ahead. So I did something different on my watch of these two movies than I have done in any other movie that we've watched for this series where we do two or three movies. Usually I watch them in like chronological order. Right. I didn't do that this time. Okay. I just knew right off the bat that I was going to hate the Adam Sandler one and I kind of wanted something to look forward to. So why do you hate the Adam Sandler one? It wasn't funny. It's one of those things where we've talked about before, like the nostalgia factor of some of these movies, like some of like Happy Madison to me still holds some nostalgia because when I was a kid and it came out, it was so stupid and silly and I really loved that movie. And so if I go back and rewatch it now, like if it's on TV or something, then then I have a nostalgia for it that I don't have for Mr. Deeds. And anytime I watch any of these silly Happy Madison-esque movies without that nostalgia factor, I just, I find them so boring. He's always the same character, punching people out and like being the ultra nice guy who still has to like beat people up. I find it really dull now as an adult. And I kind of knew that I was probably going to feel that way going in. So I figured let's save the black and white version, which will hopefully fingers crossed be better for the second one. So at least I have something to look forward to. (laughs) That's fair. Um, When it comes to Adam Sandler, I'm in between. I... Sometimes I really like the stuff he's in and sometimes I don't like it at all. And I'm talking specifically about the Happy Madison stuff. I think Grown Ups is one of the best family films that has come out in the last 15 years. I think it is by far, far and away, one of the best family opportunities to sit down together and watch a film the way that my parents And I used to do that. When I see these family films, I don't often say like, that would be a really great movie to watch at the cottage. Grown Ups, I think, is a perfectly awesome family movie to watch at the cottage. There's nostalgia. There's ushering in a new generation. I really like it. Whereas Mr. Deeds is on that kerplunk level for me. The reason why is sort of what you touched on. I don't like all the slapstick that comes with this version of Adam Sandler. I like Adam Sandler when he's a nice guy and he's chatting and he's he's the guy you want to have a beer with. Also, I don't like the absurdism in Mr. Deeds as much as I give a total pass to Mr. Deeds goes to town for any absurd things that happen in that film. But for whatever reason, I can't get on board with giving Adam Sandler's Mr. Deeds a pass like The John McEnroe stuff, the tennis, opera singer shatting himself, all of these things to me are like the lowest brow taking from source material that like 
has a heart. Yeah, like the Adam Sandler I enjoy is like punch drunk love Adam Sandler because he's not a bad actor. I enjoy him when he's doing more dramatic stuff, right? I enjoyed him in Funny People and Grown Ups and that kind of thing, right? Like he's not, it's not like he's an actor I avoid at all. Uh, I don't mind him as a human being. (laughs) No, 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 no. And I'm not trying to say that. I just... There is some charm to some Adam Sandler characters. And then there is ones that I just don't find charming. And for whatever reason, I don't find Mr. Deeds a charming character. And it may be because chronologically I saw Gary Cooper as Mr. Deeds first. Yeah, and and he was a much better Mr. Deeds. But this goes back to something that we talked about months ago when we first started this series and, you know, the world caught fire. The screenwriters for Mr. Deeds, how do they get away with claiming ownership over that screenplay when they just essentially took everything from the original? Some of it even verbatim. As far as dialogue goes, yeah. They just plunked it into a new script and then took out the courtroom scene at the end, which wise decision because that courtroom scene was awful and reminded me a lot of the courtroom scene in Dr. Doolittle where it just grinds everything to a screeching halt. And I wasn't really sure why it was there in the first place. Like, was this based on a play or something, dude? Are you going to tell me that? (laughs) No, 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 no. This has always been a screenplay. You're right. Uh, That Let's talk about that just for a second. The the difference in the ending, for those who haven't watched, is that the end of Mr. Deeds goes to town. They believe him to be insane. I mean, nobody really believes him to be insane. They just need him to give back the $20 million so that they can be richer. But they hold a court where they want to deem if he is insane or not. And at the end of Mr. Deeds, Mr. Deeds' Adam Sandler goes home to Mandrake Falls. The reporter who has duped him runs to that town and tries to get him back. He says, I don't know who you are. And then there's this moment where his all of the money that he's given away to a black college charity... It it disappears because now the company's gone. There was actually an heir who was not. The heir thing is interesting. I don't know if any either one of these ending works. I agree with you. I think that they were wise to try something different with the Sandler version because that courtroom scene is really, really terrible. And I found it counterproductive to what I felt like they were trying to accomplish with, you know, having the reporter fall in love with him and having it, you know, him find out and be really sour about it. Like there's the classic like romantic comedy tropes to the original, just like there is in the remake. But I think they leaned heavier into those tropes in the remake make than they did in the original, which is kind of a shame because I enjoyed that relationship more in the the original. I think that they, I mean, the original's almost half an hour longer and they spent most of that time on the courtroom scene, sure, but they also spent a lot more time kind of building that relationship between him and, and the reporter, who I always forget her name's Babe. But here's the thing. Here's the huge difference in these films. Babe in 1930s version isn't trying to be anybody else. Winona Ryder's version is trying to develop this backstory. She full out lies. Now, Babe in 30s version is lying to sort of, but still giving her real self to him. And he's giving her real self back. So it feels more genuine. I think I think exactly what you're saying is why I bought it more in the original is because 
he was falling in love with, you know, like 90% of who she was. Exactly. In the remake, Winona Ryder is just straight up lying to him the whole time. And so when he falls in love with the lie and then finds out that it is a lie, he's incredibly justified to not want anything to do with her. And it makes me like him less that he kind of takes her back. He's fallen in love with, with an imaginary thing. It's not real. Whereas in the original, he's actually fallen in love with this woman who hasn't really been lying to him about most of what they're talking about. And you can see her transition from this is a lot of fun and I'm getting great news articles out of it to really genuinely caring about him in a way that never happened with Winona Ryder and Adam Sandler. There, there's just there wasn't the same kind of chemistry or time put into that relationship. We also got a, a, an additional scene with the 30s version where she's talking to her roommate or somebody who lives in her building about how wonderful this man is. Yeah, for sure. The only time we get that in the Adam Sandler version is when she's yelling at her boss that that's not the footage I got. He did save those people. And then finally saying like, no, I, I won't, I won't do this. There is a point in Gene Arthur's version where she, you can clearly see she is in love. Yeah, I agree with you. That's the other part of it that made it land better for me is that she came to that realization on her own. The newspaper wasn't misquoting her words or rewriting her stories to make it sound like something else was happening when she was trying to write positive things about him. They were just looking for stories. They didn't care what they were. They didn't need to be sensationalized. And so when her boss finds out that, wait, are you in love with this guy? And she's like, well, yeah. And that's such a sweet moment between her and her boss because he's very supportive of that. Like, he's like, oh, man, like that. This is not gone how either of us had planned. But like, obviously, that's like you got to do something about that now. What are you going to do? Whereas in the Sandler version, the person who's kind of supportive of her at work is only supportive because he wants to get with her, not for any other reason than he wants to sleep with her, it seems. Creepy. Yeah, it was super creepy. And then beyond that, her on-air boss, who was just, you know, very clearly distorting truth in order to, you know, make more sensationalized story. I think they were trying to accomplish a few too many things there where they were talking poorly about, you know, uh, sensationalized news media kind of things. Whereas in the original, they didn't really have to worry about that. And so there was still like this air of like journalistic integrity, which I kind of appreciated. It like simplified the story a lot. So the Mr. Deeds 2002 version has a way of taking all those moments and making them incredibly tacky and bizarre and out of place. Like even, you know, something really wonderful, like Mr. Deeds has all this money and he gives $20,000 of it to a couple sitting at another table. It's Sandlerized to those original Sandler movies where they're like now dancing and groping each other on a table or $20,000 is given to some kids and you have to show a homeless guy like, look at me, school is for fools. You know what? There's some genuine bizarre things if you want to think they're bizarre in the 1930s version like feeding a horse donuts which comes up over and over and over again but also he was drunk man he was drunk and, and the weird things are like he gets offended by people or both versions of mr deeds do hit people. But the way Gary Cooper hits people is so justified. Yeah, I was surprised that they carried that over. I think that was Sandler's idea. 
Had to have been. I, I, I say I'm surprised they carried it over, but I really mean it in the opposite sense. I'm surprised that the source material had something like that in it because when I watched the Sandler version, I was like, well, this is clearly a Sandler ad. And then to see it pop up in the original actually really surprised me. <laughs> but it also wasn't as flagrant and bizarre and, and over the top. Agreed, yes, because there's always these Sandler things in these Happy Madison movies, which is that, you know, fundamentally he's a good dude and he tries his best, and he's got a heart of gold, but he is going to beat the shit out of you. He, like, hulks out in all of these movies in, like, this really aggressive, angry kind of manner. In front of shareholders, he knocks out a pro football player. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Dude, there just wasn't anything in that movie that was funny to me. I didn't, I actually didn't laugh at all in the whole movie. I'm trying to think if I did. I like Jan the Rodeo Clown. (laughs) When Babe and her fought for some reason... I, I liked how Winona Ryder really tried to get by, got clotheslines. Like, I was a rodeo clan. You're going to have to try harder than that. I was like, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. But it's just so funny to see that, like, so many of the gags, even, like, down to the echoing in the mansion. Wasn't that echo thing in the Mr. Deeds version so Weird. It was super, super weird. It was so weird. But they copied all of these things from the original, right? The fire engine stuff, the sliding down the banister, the punching people, some of the dialogue they ripped off completely, then the the echoing and all of that stuff they ripped off from the original. But somehow in the original, it was like a little bit charming. It wasn't always funny, but it was a little bit charming. And in the Sandler version, it all of it was just so flat. It was like they were working way too hard, which is so dumb, right? Because that really does tell you that it is entirely possible to take a great joke and deliver it poorly to the point where people don't laugh. And I think we got an object lesson in that with these two movies. But also something like the echo in a large house in 1930s could be deemed as like charming and fun. And the way that they projected in Mr. Deeds is so random and weird and it ends with him like, All right, well, I'm going to go to bed now. And then you have a scene with a foot and the foot, it's played for slapstick like crazy. I think another part of it is you genuinely get the sense that Gary Cooper's Mr. Deeds has some business sense, some real business sense. And when he sits down with the opera people, the comparison scene in the Adam Sandler version is we're going to let the pro football player go. Like that's, these are the comparable scenes. But in the original, he sits down with the opera and the opera tells him, well, we had a loss of $180,000. $180,000 in 1936. Mr. Deeds is like, where are you making this money up? They're like, well, we, we were hoping we'd get it from you. Oh, you're not getting it from me. It's a, it's a losing business. And you're, you're kind of like, yeah. And on the other side, like, yes, New York snooty opera people. And if you like opera, I'm not calling you snooty. I'm just saying that these people were snooty because they were trying to say that it's not a common person thing and you have to be elevated. Where Mr. Deeds was like, well, I want to make the money back, so let's open it up to the common people. And the opera people were like, nah, that's not how our business runs. And it's like, well, you got to make money. So you got this, uh, this idea that he was really smart. Whereas everything Adam Sandler did was because like he didn't like someone's attitude. They were rude to him. That was it. Like that that was all. There was no 
real business sense. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think that what they were trying to do with the Sandler version is just like make him such a nice and charming guy that everyone around him kind of came around. The staff at the apartment all kind of came around and they all just seemed to genuinely like him by the end. The right-hand man for uh, for the, the business guy, I always forget his name. I don't know, I'm terrible with names in this movie because I wasn't fully paying attention because it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but the right-hand businessman came around and genuinely liked him by the end, and that was the same in the original as well, the guy with the really gravelly voice in the original. The thing that mattered to me in the original wasn't just that he was like kind of this charming, quirky dude. It was exactly what you're saying. He had some business sense or at least some like really savvy common sense. Yes. Where he was like, well, why would you offer your services to me for free? That seems stupid of you. So what is it that you're getting out of this relationship? Oh, right. You're clearly getting something. So until I figure that out, we're not going to work together, which was such a great moment where you're like, okay, this guy, you know, he gets it. He's got some self-confidence. He's not going to be pushed around. I loved that in both versions, they were like, hey, you just inherited $40 billion. Hey, you just inherited $20 million. And they were both just like, all right, and just moved on with their day because it's just... You got a clear sense right away that for both of these characters, money was not a motivating factor. No. And that made them potentially very interesting inside of that kind of scenario, but they played it for heart in the original, whereas they played it for slapstick comedy in the remake, and that's why you get one that kind of works and one that really, really aggressively doesn't work. I think that's the same of a lot of these old films, especially Frank Capra films. This is the time where... Slapstick was in the silent films with Charlie Chaplin more so than in these talkies and these early talkies with Gary Cooper and James Stewart, where they could emotionally connect with showing you the character of themselves versus let me show you my black foot. Let me show you how I'm going to beat this mugger down. I'm just going to be as goofy as possible Gary Cooper does not need to be goofy in Mr. Deeds Goes to Town for you to like him. You like him because he's likable. Adam Sandler, yes, can be likable, but I don't think this film shows that in the best way possible. It just, it feels like so much is happening around him that he gets lost in the shuffle. He's the title character and everything that happens I don't know. I don't feel like Adam Sandler's a victim in Mr. Deeds the way that Gary uh, Cooper is in Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. Yeah, that's incredibly well said. Now, the one good thing that I will say about the courtroom at the end of the 36th version, when Mr. Deeds starts to speak and starts defending himself, I loved the analogy of I play my tuba to concentrate like you. You're an O-filler. You doodle. You know, like all of that. And then... The pixelated thing that he did with uh, the two sisters. I I really thought that was the best part of the whole courtroom thing. Look, the best parts of the movie are when Gary Cooper is being Gary Cooper. The best parts of of the original movie was when Gary Cooper is interacting with the reporter. Because there was some heart there and there was also a bit of silliness. And there was a nice character arc there for her. I really enjoyed that. 
And the courtroom scene, I could I could take it or leave it. I thought it was a really crappy ending to an otherwise incredibly. F- it was just it was just a nice little romp. I don't know. It was a nice time. So what you should know, listening at home, is that Mr. Deeds Goes to Town was going to be a first part to a sequel called Mr. Deeds Goes to Washington, but for whatever reason, they decided to scrap that and change it to Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and hire Jimmy Stewart. I like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington way more than I like Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. I have to say they sort of play the same good old boy characters because they're both Frank Capra and they both kind of were supposed to fit these movies together somehow. But at the end of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, it ends like it's the best ending. You can imagine how much you are rooting for Mr. Smith. At the end of Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, I was surprised that it sort of fades out with a whimper. She's like just kissing his face and he looks dumbfounded. And I'm like, why is, what, why is he so out of it? (laughs) Yeah, it was weird. It was, it was bizarre. It was weird ending. It was really bizarre. And I'm not saying that Mr. Smith Goes to Washington has a bigger romantic ending. It is way more political than Mr. Deeds Goes to Town is. But I was expecting a finish because I knew they were both connected by director and by idea that I thought Mr. Deeds Goes to Town was going to have this triumphant ending. And it kind of went out with a whimper, in my opinion. And uh, and it's a, it's a fun movie. I don't think either one of these movies are something I'd like absolutely recommend to anyone. No, far from it. I wouldn't go so far as to like apologize to our listening audience for for these ones. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I still think Mr. Deeds Goes to Town has a lot going for it. Sure, yeah. I just feel like you had to watch Mr. Deeds as well, which <laughs> you know what? If it, you have the nostalgia that Chris was talking about at the beginning of this podcast, then maybe you saw Mr. Deeds in a different way than we did. For sure. Yeah, if if we were watching Happy Madison and a Happy Madison remake, I'd be super stoked to be talking about Happy Madison right now because, like, that movie holds a ton of nostalgia for me. And it's so silly, And but it's, like, it's a kind of silly that I'd be excited to rewatch as an adult because I probably haven't seen it since I was, like, 15 or 16. <laughs> I need to understand what you're talking about, Chris. I don't know what you're saying. What do you mean? Happy Madison is the production company. What movie are you talking about? It's either Happy Gilmore or Billy Madison. Oh, my God. It's friggin' Happy Gilmore. Are you kidding me this whole time? <laughs> this whole time, I'm like, Happy Madison. What a great movie. It's not a movie at all. I'm so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm talking about Happy Gilmore. Holy shit, dude. So should we tell the listeners that we're taking a week or two off? Yeah, I think we should definitely talk about that. I think that... Um, Hey, so like doing a weekly podcast is really exhausting. Who knew? (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, to go from doing not even bi-weekly, sometimes once a month to every single week. And now we're not doing just one movie. We're doing like two weeks, sometimes three movies per week. Yeah. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. So so we're going to we're going to take a little bit of a break and we're going to come back refreshed maybe with a new schedule, 
Because clearly the pandemic's not going anywhere. No, no. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. COVID seems to want to stick around and 2020 seems to want to just throw curveballs our way left, right and center. So we're on what our sixth pivot of the podcast year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what we should do is definitely stick to this, but we might have to change up the schedule and we are going to take a little bit of a break. We're going to take one extra week between this episode and the next episode. And then we're, we're debating whether or not we go back to weekly episodes and then just schedule in some breaks once in a while. Or if maybe we'll just do bi-weekly episodes moving forward, just to, uh, just to make it a little bit, I know it doesn't sound like it's a lot of work, <laughs> It's a lot of work, guys. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work behind the scenes. You know what? The thing is, we have jobs. (laughs) We have jobs. I think for both of us, certainly for me, the, the feeling that I have right now is I don't want to get to a position where this feels like work because it's so silly and I enjoy doing it so much. Me too. And I'm enjoying what our schedule is doing as far as like broadening my my movie horizons as like a wannabe film nerd. If we do shift to a bi-weekly release schedule, um, I think what that will do is help us both to just be excited about doing this every week without that ever going away. We're really trying to say, listener, is that you have become a nuisance to create content for. (laughs) So I'm just real excited for you week in and week. I'm totally kidding. We could not be more grateful to the amazing support from our listeners. You have been so awesome. Now that we have way more listeners, I'm I'm not feeling that great about it anymore. I appreciated when there was only two people listening and I'm not interested in talking to more than just my immediate family. (laughs) So we're definitely going to come back and deliver you way more content but begrudgingly. This is going to be great. There's going to be no laughter. There's going to be no joking around. We're just going to read box office results. Every episode will be 45 seconds. Woo! No, obviously. Obviously. (laughs) Obviously, we love making the podcast. We laugh ourselves silly, and uh, we just need a break, but we're going to come back with lots, lots more. Yeah, we're delirious. Can't you tell? (laughs) Next time on We Saw a Thing. So, just to recap, in case that descent into laughter wasn't clear enough, we're headed to a bi-weekly release schedule moving forward, which means the next episode about the Lady Killers will be popping into your podcast feed on August 20th. And then we're going to finally be releasing the Mulan episode we recorded back in March. It's a bit of a weird listen now, but Disney's doing a VOD rental extravaganza of Mulan on Disney Plus on September 4th. And I gotta say, that's pretty exciting. Hope you'll join us for both episodes in the coming weeks. We Saw a Thing is hosted by Jay Kennedy and Chris Shapcott. Produced by Shapcott Media. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And check our show notes for links to our social media and credits. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts.